Hey guys, it's Charles coming to you from post-production land. I just want to jump out in front of the episode with a quick warning that we had a lot of audio difficulties with this episode that we didn't discover until after we had already recorded it. Now, fortunately, Bradley is an editing wizard. He was able to use our backup audio tracks that we record in order to beat this episode into something resembling shape, but it's not going to sound as clean as our normal episodes. You're going to notice a lot of stuttering with the audio. You're going to notice a lot of volume correction where levels have been brought up and down. And you're also going to notice a lot of pauses in this episode where they would normally be edited out. It's going to sound a lot more like our raw recordings than it normally does in its edited form. I want to go ahead and apologize for that, uh, especially to our guest Kyle. Bradley and I are talking about more ways to make 100% sure that this does not happen in the future and make sure we have more backups and safeguards in place. Uh, But for now, we really wanted to share this conversation we had about the tragedy with you. Uh, We really loved having Kyle on the show. And as always, thanks for bearing with us. Thanks for listening to Gold Squadron Gaze. And we hope you enjoy our conversation with Kyle as much as we did. Hello, and welcome to the show Gold Squadron Gaze. It's the podcast where two Star Wars-loving gays break down each episode of their favorite Star Wars TV shows, while also being gay as hell. I'm your host, Bradley Brower. And I'm Charles Rogers. And I'm the guest of the week, Kyle Muting, aka Kyle Electron, aka Magic Kyle. Thank you, Kyle, for doing your plugs at the top of the episode. Well, I I (laughs) realized that people might not know me by that name or whatever, and so I gave the names that people might know me by. (laughs) I was on season one, and I don't remember what I said then, so I just wanted to give all of them whichever one is the same. Kyle, you just wanted to do that thing that Bo-Katan does in the third episode where let me just list off all my names and titles real fast so you know how big of a deal I am you know I was definitely making a reference from something I definitely remember earlier in the series (laughs) (laughs) no Kyle is uh, we can confirm semi-exclusively that Kyle is in fact still alive thank you for carving out the time to join us Kyle I know you have been extremely busy lately doing stuff we can't talk about yet well, I believe a theme of the episode will be people who seem like they're dead and you would think we're dead, but are actually not. So ah. it's apropos. It's like the Aaron thing that we accidentally had Kylon for a perfect thematic episode. Exactly. Uh, we forgot to check this before we went into recording. Bradley, do we have any news or anything we need to talk about? Um, no, I, I, I don't think so. I did hear some random thing. I don't know if you know anything about this, but I, there was some, uh, I saw some TikTok. I don't know if it was like Rupalps Palps Podbrace or something, but I think one of them or one of the ones that we follow on TikTok posted something about, um, either a book or something that's coming out that is a story about Lando and Luke Skywalker uh, yes. saving Ray's parents. Yeah, yep. Uh, So Bradley, as I know, you can't read. Uh, But for those of us who can read, Rise of Skywalker, they're finally doing that thing that they have to do with every Star Wars movie where they make the movie and then they have to release a bunch of tie-in material to explain the movie. So we're getting a novel called Secrets of the Sith, which is about uh, Luke and Lando trying to find Exegol and also Rey's family is in it. More importantly... Two of the other books that we're getting uh, have that sweet, sweet Asajj Ventress content in it. Yeah, they just dropped a lot of books, but I don't know how relevant that is to anyone except weirdos like me who actually read them. Exactly. (laughs) So if there's no real news, 
then I guess we'll dive straight into the episode. Bradley, you want to you wanna take us in? Absolutely. So we are discussing season two, episode six, titled The Tragedy, where this week the Mandalorian and the child travel to an ancient site. Uh, Kyle, what is one thing about this episode that you liked and one thing you did not? So do I have to start with the one I liked? You know, either or. Anywhere. All right. So I, there are some sad and hard to watch moments, which are part of the, like, what I didn't like, but also it was a lot of action and explosions in a way that, like, while the scenes themselves had weight, I found a little too action-y at parts for me. Um, But I did like um, kind of just how much relevance this episode had to the plot overall and as well as it tying it had a lot of great examples for the themes that i was seeing in um the season and show overall and as well as tying back to the episode that i don't remember what the name of the episode was but the episode that i was on the podcast for previously there's connections i and i like that also i they filmed this episode somewhere near where i used to live and so i liked seeing that scenery yes and i have a specific note for when i'm gonna ask you about that location so i have a specific note in the episode in my notes i was like okay this scene here ask kyle about this (laughs) Uh, was that the thing you you disliked what was the thing you liked oh i liked the scenery i i liked the themes and stuff to be very specific One thing that I liked, I liked the episode length. It was 30 minutes long. Because I remember, Bradley, (laughs) I texted you this morning. Right. I woke up. My whole day has just been Gold Squadron gay stuff all day. But I started my morning doing my first watch of the episode. I opened it up. I was like, oh, this is really 30 minutes. Like, there is no filler here. Like, it's, it's just in and out. And it does its job. It's great. Uh, one thing I disliked uh, the tough one <laughs> would have to agree with kyle in terms of kind of the tonal whiplashing just a little bit i also felt like i'm gonna praise the action in this episode but i also felt like there were points where it maybe strayed a little too closely to that sort of hyper gratuitous violence that i don't really feel indicative of this particular franchise it it got up to the line in a few places where i went it had been in less competent hands and we'll get to who the director is later on in the episode but there were points where i looked at him when if this had been in less competent hands see how this might have gone slightly over the line if i had to pick something i i would dislike i would say violence itself comes kind of up to that line of what i consider like this Disney may be scene. a little... <laughs> mm, could I show my kids this? Right. What about you, Bradley? One thing you liked and one thing you didn't. Um, the one thing I liked was uh, any scene with Moff Gideon in it, uh, Giancarlo. Like, he was... I just thought, yes, finally, we're getting, like, longer extended scenes with him. And because up to this point, we really don't have a lot of, you know, Moff Gideon content. Like, they barely show him in this show, and it's such a disappointment because the two scenes that he's in in this episode, or, like, the one long scene that he's in, it's he's so good. 
Like, he's such a good villain, and I wish they would show him more. So, I don't know. That's just the one thing I really, really liked about the episode. Uh, it's kind of like a both. A, I feel like I hated it because he wasn't in it enough, but I kind of wanted him. Like, I, li- I liked what he was in. The one thing I didn't like about the episode, this is the only episode, to my knowledge, um, that was not filmed in the... Um, or the majority of it was not filmed in the... Uh, volume. The volume. Um, and I feel like you can tell and not in a good way. Does that make sense? Like it, it does have kind of a, and like the fact that it has kind of a fan film vibe to it was one of the things that sets it apart. So Mm -hmm. maybe, maybe if the actual series had had more location shoots, it wouldn't have felt out of place. So yeah. I just thought, yeah, I, I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I like the scenes outside, and I think it's pretty, and it looks good. It's just, it does feel a little, like, less, like, I, I don't know. I feel, well, actually, you know what? This is an, a good explanation for this. This episode felt like, again, a backdoor pilot for Book of Boba. Now, in retrospect, because we didn't know about Book of Boba at this point when this show was airing, and I genuinely feel that this is a somewhat decent version of a backdoor pilot for the Book of Boba, or what we'll see in that show, at least. I swear to God, this show has more fucking backdoor pilots than Orlando Pride. (laughs) (laughs) And that may be in the top five worst jokes I've made on this show. All right, Bradley, take us into the episode. Let's let's make like this episode and get in and out and be super efficient. (laughs) Okay, great. Um, our episode begins as the Razor Crest approaches the planet of California. <laughs> Sorry, I had to I had to throw that joke in there. Um, and the Mandalorian looks for the Seeing Stone that Ahsoka Tano had told him about last week. On the ship, he practices playing Force Catch with his kid. Uh, once they arrive to Tython, he places the child on top of the Seeing Stone while figuring out how to activate the structure. He sights a starship circling them, which turns out to be the Slave One. The Mandalorian goes to grab Grogu, but he is unable to due to a force field around him. Sorry, I need to correct you real fast. Um, It's Boba Fett's starship. It's not Slave One. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. Because on the Lego packaging, it's Boba Fett's starship now. It's not Slave One. No, that whole thing was fucking stupid. I know. And I'm going to mock it till the end of time. (laughs) Cal, did you hear any of this Slave One Boba Fett starship discourse? No, I am gleefully and graciously unaware of the discourse. Okay, well, so for the uninitiated, uh, Star Wars fans, uh, which rival uh, rival everyone for fandom that goes absolutely insane for no reason, uh, got super upset because the Lego set of the Slave One said Boba Fett's starship on it. And some people decided that that was Disney trying to erase the Slave One from canon. Wow, they're just really taking this opportunity to erase history. How will kids remember the name of Boba Fett's starship if it's not right? on the packaging at Target? Right? How, how will the parents know what they're purchasing if they don't clearly spell out that it's a Fire Spray class 
uh, ship named Slave One. Mm-hmm. They certainly, that, that's what they're looking for when they go to look. Right. It's like, oh, I see this thing. This must not be the same. <laughs> no, it's definitely not. I do want to. I do want to say though, and I'm glad Kyle's here because Kyle can back me up on this. You know what the scene of Din saying Grogu's name and having Grogu look at him reminds me of? No, what? Did you know when Mr. Harker like hops up on the back of my chair oh my or like I say his name <gasps> mm-hmm. and he's like, "Meow," exactly Meow, like that's that. That's me. That's me. That's me. <laughs> it reminds me of that. Yes. He's like, it's amazing. Uh, I like how Din is, like, testing Grogu in this scene. Yeah. Like, trying to see if he can replicate the the ball pull. Almost kind of like there's a deeper exploration of, like, the idea of parental want. Din wants it to be a fluke and the kid not to really be as, as sensitive as Ahsoka says that he is mm-hmm. versus what the kid needs, which is actual proper training it was it was an interesting exploration of that theme which has kind of permeated the back half of this season Mm -hmm. yeah i think it's there's some very specific vibes like dad vibes of like oh my kid is gifted in a special way that i cannot teach him and so i have to let him go off to his special school place and not be around him as much and it's just when i was starting to bond with the child you know it's got to be terrifying as a a parent to not be able to connect your kid up with your kid on some sort of level and like den sounds genuinely upset when he's like it's it's not a fluke like he'd almost hoped that grogu's powers had just disappeared overnight mm-hmm. like it's kind of heartbreaking like, it's our only Dank Ferrick this episode, which is at six, by the way, is, is right. when he pulls the ball. In. Yeah, I noticed that, too, because I was like, uh, oh, our count's at six. Um, and, I, I, you know, I didn't really read it as that when you like now that you say that out loud, I I didn't read it as a bad thing until just now because you kind of explained it a little bit differently. I just thought he was like he did that like, oh, you did it, you know, kind of thing. Uh, not an explanation of, oh, you did it, like, well, you know, the difference in the tone. The, there was a clear tone that he was upset, which is part of what upset Grogu, right? Because he had to explain to Grogu, like, oh no, right. I'm not mad at you. I'm mad. I'm, I'm yeah. just, you know, hoping. Super, super heartbreaking dad moment too. Is with the no, I'm, I'm, I'm upset, but I'm not upset with you. Mm-hmm. Which is a conversation that I know. I remember there were instances in my childhood where my parents would say that exact thing to me. Like when they were upset about something, we're upset, but we're not upset at you. Cause as a kid, you're like, especially when you're as young developmentally as Grogu is, right? You think if your parent, if people around you are upset at something you did. Right. I remember right. feeling that way when I, I was only a few decades old. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. just a few decades. Yeah. The ripe young age of 50. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, which, as we established last week, uh, Grogu and Anakin are the same age. Yep. And boy, do I hate that. Well, I mean, we didn't, like, do any research into knowing the exact date that Anakin was born and the exact time that Grogu was born, but, you know. 
I will close. say I I did do some rough calculating of timelines because of a line later in this episode, uh, yeah. and I do stand by that if they were not born and the same year, they were born at least two years apart. Right. It's pretty close. Right. Well, all we do know for sure is that Anakin's a Scorpio. <laughs> I am personally a. Fa- how dare you? Wait. First of all, how do you Kyle, know this? I, I, I don't know. I was, I know so little about astrology. I, th- I would, like thought that was the closest one, but I don't know. Oh, that's uh, funny. I he thought you obviously, like, genuinely knew. He is obviously a Gemini. Like, don't <laughs> at fucking at Scorpios like this today, oh Kyle. I, I can't do it. What would the different zo- like astrological signs be in the Star Wars universe? Would one of them like, oh, I, I'm, I'm a Porg. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think of that until just now. That's hilarious. I wonder if there's like an astrological thing based on like proximity to the galactic center or something. I'm going to put a pen in that and I'm going to do some research and I might post to our TikTok this week if I find anything about that. Speaking of the Jedi, let's talk about Tython. I said last week I would explain in a little more detail uh, why this portrayal of Tython caused a few waves among comic readers. So Tython, for the uninitiated, uh, this is our first mention of it in canon. In Legends, it was a big deal because it was the birthplace of the Jedi and the site of the first Jedi Temple. In fact, during the MMO Star Wars The Old Republic, which I'm not currently playing because I am super mad at it for instituting a battle pass system, which I think is fucking stupid, and I could do a whole episode on that, but the Jedi Temple has had to relocate to the planet Tython uh, for political reasons, so it's kind of a major deal in the Old Republic and the Legends continuity. In canon, we have seen it before, and we have seen it one time before in the comics, it is the finale location for the first run of the Dr. Afra comics, who is a lesbian space Indiana Jones, and she's great, and she does nothing wrong <laughs> over the course of her entire series and has made no bad choices. Uh, but Tython showed up, and in that one, it's portrayed as an ice planet. Hmm. So people were like, if Tython was shown as ice in the comics and temperate in the Mandalorian, what's going on here? Which, I mean, it's easy to explain. They're just probably different regions of the same planet. But No, that doesn't make sense because every planet in Star Wars is one biome. Correct. That's the problem. (laughs) Every single one is one biome except Kessel. (laughs) Kessel is the only one that has two biomes. So that is a brief history, which ties into the note right after. I'll just go ahead and mention for discussion's sake. Uh, The rock that uh, Grogu is on, the Seeing Stone, very similar to the positioning in the temple, like in, in terms of prominence, like being a prominent center point of a temple like structure. Uh, to the rock that Rey meditates on and Luke eventually force projects on in The Last Jedi. Mm. So, apparently dumping big fucking rocks in the middle of temples is a Jedi thing. Do we know um, what the rock 
I know it had like symbols on it. Do we know what those symbols are? Or are they just random? No idea. I couldn't. I couldn't find a translation of it. Gotcha. Yeah, this I episode was, was big one. on the translating, but I couldn't find that. Gotcha. It's it's a big ass magic rock. We have no way of knowing, but we can probably presume that it's some sort of graffiti, like Yoda was here first. <laughs> Yoda might have been there first. Probably. We don't know. He also sat on the rock. Mm-hmm. Who <laughs> he might have. Hasn't? Well, Ahsoka knows about Tython. Mm-hmm. So, and in one of the comics, it was either a comic or a book that I read recently, uh, they incorrectly identify the first Jedi temple is being on a different planet. I think it was Ossus that they incorrectly identified on. So like the Jedi don't know where half their shit is. <laughs> like they forgot the Island from last Jedi existed. Right. They're like, I don't know where anybody is, but if Ahsoka knows about this rock, then Yoda might've been to this rock. Hmm. You don't know. So can I want to talk about what the rock is. Have like, we talked about what the rock is? It's like a it's like a giant cell phone. Like I don't understand what the I, I did, like the whole episode I just didn't quite understand like what the rock was. You know what I mean? Like it didn't really like what what was the what did it do? Like it was so confusing. I I, I just didn't know what it was. Well, I think it was and this is not me, and I'm not about to turn this into a troll response. I think it was purposely somewhat un, purposely ambiguous because uh, our point of view characters didn't know, and the one person who did know more about the rock did not explain it. No, she frequently doesn't explain things. <laughs> uh, one thing that Dave does really well, and something that the new canon does really well. Wait, sorry, uh, real quick. It, who's Dave? Star Wars audience, Kyle knows basically nothing about the franchise. That's why we have him on. Please don't dogpile him. Uh, Dave Filoni is uh, basically George Lucas's successor. Ah, uh, yes. I think you explained this to me last time, and I wasn't sure if Dave <laughs> was like an abbreviation because you were saying Dave Dave's and like this other series thing, and I'm like, oh, is Dave like the abbreviations for like the dastardly adventures of Venturi <laughs> Elon Musk? Because I don't know if he's in Star Wars universe <laughs> right. or not. All right, thank the you. The dastardly adventures of Ventress and Embo. Right. That's the show that Bradley wants. Uh, no, Dave Filoni is basically George Lucas' successor. He's a creative executive at Lucasfilm. He was the showrunner of Clone Wars. He's the showrunner of, well, the executive director of Clone Wars and Rebels. Uh, under his umbrella, uh, Bad Batch and Resistance were also produced. He is also, like, super involved in the live-action stuff. Uh, he helps co-write uh, those shows and kind of keeps everything on track. Uh, big deal. Also, if you believe a bunch of shitty YouTubers, uh, every week he's also staging a coup inside the company to oust Cass- Kathleen Kennedy. Well, I do not believe them. I only believe in life after love. That is, that is good information to have. But one thing Dave does really, really well, and it's something the new canon does over Legends. Legends kind of had this problem with video gaming the Force, is a term that I use, where mm. they were super... Force powers got super quantified. And it was kind of a result of it being 
shakily handled in some of the video games kind of made the implication that it was like a skill tree that you could put points into and everything was a little more defined versus the way the films did it and the way canon does it where it's kind of like the force does whatever it needs to do so plot can happen right a hard magic system versus a soft magic system bingo bingo like legends it was more of a hard magic system now i have my own theory about this I like the interpretation that the Jedi themselves around the prequel era treated it as a hard magic system, when in reality it's a soft magic system, and they got super scientific about it, which is why midichlorians were a thing. Because if you reduce magic down to science, obviously you're going to want to have quantifiable things to measure, so you're going to fucking pick something that correlates but doesn't necessarily cause I could go off on a tangent about that for literally hours. <laughs> and I have on this show. <laughs> uh, the last note that I have, uh, I've been monopolizing the notes slightly, but the last one I have is, is I want to shout out the puppetry on Baby Yoda, especially when they're landing. Like, the way he moves and he's so excited. Like, that's a real Baby Yoda, folks. <laughs> Yeah, for sure it was. I mean, I even when he was playing fetch with him or uh, catch with him, it was a. Uh, I was like, he's really sitting there and like using the force on the ball. Like he's really there touching it. Like I think it's when he goes to grab it out of his hands. I was like, oh, that baby is holding that ball for real. Like that's 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 really there. It's really holding that ball. Like it. I don't know. It just looked really good. Up next, a hooded man approaches Din, telling him that he has been tracking him. He removes his hood, revealing himself as the bald Boba Fett. Fett tells Din that he is here for his armor, which Din had received from Cobb Vanth back on Tatooine. Fett reveals that he has a sharpshooter locked onto the child. Fennec Shan identifies herself as the sniper, revealing she's alive. And Shan is now in Boba's service. Twists upon twists. Twists <laughs> upon twists. Well, y- you can't keep a good uh, a Ming-Na Wen down. Right. And truly, it is it is impossible to do. Well, especially when every Ming-Na Wen is good. That is correct. <laughs> uh, she's She is so... Like, she loves being in this show so yeah. much. Like, you if don't. you follow her on social media, with I do, which I do, she just loves this. She is having a ball. Yeah. I am so excited for her to be in Book of Boba. Yeah, no, I when I was watching this episode and I was watching all of her scenes, I was like, wow, she is really good in this show. Like, really, really good. And actually, all of her action scenes in this um, episode were so good and so, like, focused on. Like, she had, like, moments, like, actual moments in the show. It wasn't, like, a, just a side character. Like, she had true moments in the show. And I think that um, it is a kind of a glimpse into the view of Book of Boba, like, what we're going to see. We're going to see a lot more of her. We're going to see a lot more action sequences with her. Because um, all of her stuff is so cool. Yeah, and that's how you, like, use Ming-Na Wen in a really effective way. Because Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. kind of did this, too. She's a fantastic actress and a fantastic martial artist. And if you can find a way to combine those things in equal measure, you're going to land some really amazing stuff. This was specifically where I noted, uh, let's ask Kyle about 
Simi Valley. So, Kyle, this episode was filmed in Simi Valley, which you'd indicated on a previous episode. You spent some time as a kid. I, I, I've dabbled. No, uh, so Simi Valley is this magical little place about an hour north of Los Angeles, California. And it is kind of a conservative enclave in this area when you think of Southern California or like Los Angeles area, you know, very metropolitan, generally speaking, it is uh, not quite in literally what we call the valley here with this place called the valley and Simi Valley is not the valley. It is valley adjacent. So it's this really interesting place. And so I lived there for a few years and it's uh, got a lot of great hikeable hills and mountain areas, very dry, shrubbery, stuff like that. And that's what you can see here in that scenery of the episode. And so there's a lot of kind of isolated areas that you can get to from hiking because you can't really access them from the street very easily. And so that's where this was shot. It was shot kind of over this ridge. Do you um, recognize the location? I mean, the hills are pretty, like, nondescript. Like, they look so similar to everything else around there, right? Like, I couldn't tell you, like, which specific hill it was because they all look so similar. If you've seen one desert, you you get a good right, idea. Of right, right. No, like, I've hiked all around those areas. I'm like, I can't tell you if that rock was the rock, but it was <laughs> pretty similar. Uh, so there's no magical Jedi seeing stone in the middle of uh, Simi Valley? No, when you hike up those mountains, sometimes you'll find, like, a Pokemon Go gym, but no magical seeing stone. <laughs> but those are very hard to access, and so if you don't put Pokemon up there, because they just won't get knocked out and they won't return to you. I think that the world uh, would be a much better place if all of us were still playing Pokemon Go. Uh, Agreed. What's, like, it? I, I see all the time, like, cosplayers in the Los Angeles area and the San Francisco area and this kind of sort of California coastal area. A lot of them will go to Simi Valley to do their photo shoots. Like, I'm pretty sure, yeah, I've definitely seen photo shoots here. And I gotta wonder, like, how fucking hot must it be out there during the day? Oh, I mean, it's it's a hike to get up into, like, for them to film there, they would have had to get to an area that's far enough off the road that, like, people... Cause I, I remember seeing people posting about, like, the filming, but there were only people who had, like, specifically been hiking and were, like, pretty far deep into a trail. Like, it was not somewhere that people could just come across. And so that means that the crew and everything would have had to hike or, you know, go over this terrain to get into this area secluded enough to film there. Which means that not only was it inherently hot, but they had to be moving around. And those hills can get pretty steep and pretty unwieldy to hike up and down. Whew. I remember... I remember having to, like, film things in Georgia. And even that, like, was a slog. These remote, like, areas of Georgia... Um, I was just, I just looked it up. So the, um, the one cosplayer that we both follow on, um, Instagram, Jag Eye Hunter, um, his name is Hunter Smoke. He, uh, he has a photo shoot of his, he likes to do, um, his Boba Fett, uh, stuff and he went out there and he did it. Yeah. Cause I definitely remember he, 
he's part and i'm trying to follow like more five of first people and more people that do the cosplays because i think it's really cool mm-hmm. uh, but i do know that they've done like mandalorian photo shoots out there as well yeah yeah so i love when uh boba fett does the line i'm a simple man trying to make my way through the galaxy <laughs> Yep, the echo of I'm a simple man trying to make my way through the universe. Right. Love those little echoes. Delivered by the same actor. Same actor. <laughs> Just a couple generations later. Uh, delivered, yeah, delivered by the same actor. So let's talk about who that is. Uh, besides Daddy. Uh, sorry, uh, Daddy, sorry. Um, Tamara Morrison. <laughs> oh my god, you're so stupid. <laughs> You, you daddy, t- sorry, Daddy. You've been sorry. on TikTok too long. You've been on TikTok too long because uh, the sheer fact that one that you even know what that is, and two uh, that you brought it up means that oh, you I'm on, on I'm on talking TikTok. I could say Daddy, sorry in Elvish. Don't start with me. Oh my God. Uh, yeah, that is Tamara Morrison. Uh, famously uh, played Django Fett in Attack of the Clones way back in the day, semi-reprising the role as Boba Fett. He also did a lot of the clone trooper work for... He did, like, the clone trooper voices for the video game Battlefront 2, the good one. Um, And so he's back as Boba Fett after after a long period of time. I like Uh, it. I'm not 100% sure. I didn't check and see. I don't remember him necessarily being in anything else that I... This is the thing I should have researched before yeah. I started. You know, it's funny. Is I didn't even think to research him because I... It's not like he's a new person, but it's at the same time... Like, you know, like a regular Star like, Wars I know person would know who he is. Like, I know he's been in stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, like, it immediately all fell out of my brain. I mean, right. he's had... He's had pretty constant work. Uh... Among other things, he's dubbed into The Empire Strikes Back as the voice of Boba Fett uh, in everything from the 2004 version onwards. Uh, But other notable films that he's been in include uh, Moana. He was in Moana. So he has not completed our Disney trifecta, but he's pretty close. Interesting. Uh, What is he in Moana? uh, He's the chief. Oh, he's her dad. Okay, cool. He's her dad. Uh, so he's close. He shot for Marvel, but he missed and hit DC because oh. he's in Aquaman and Aquaman, the upcoming yes. Aquaman in the Lost Kingdom. Yeah, he's Aquaman's dad. Mm-hmm. Also was in uh, Dora and the Lost City of Gold. Also the dad in that. I'm just guessing. I was about to say, Kyle, have you, have you watched this? Have you seen Dora and the Lost City of Gold, Kyle? Honestly, I wish I had. It's probably better watched than Aquaman. Uh, you know, it probably, honestly, it's got the same CGI budget, so I'm sure it's the, <laughs> you know, it's it's, pretty, it's either equal to or better. I will also note that he recently appeared in Star Wars Visions, again, as Boba mm. Fett. So, right. looking at the video games... Uh, he basically, he's never stopped actually doing stuff for Star Wars video games, uh, other than like a 10 year period where nothing was really right happening. Uh, cause he was in Bounty Hunter, which we're going to bring up later. He was in Battlefront 2. 
He was... He was the main character in Republic Commando? What? How did I forget that? Tamara Morrison. Big deal. Yeah, there you go. So, I found it interesting that in this sequence, Boba Fett is, like, 100% on board with just shooting the kid. (laughs) I mean anything to get why, would, why wouldn't he be <laughs> what's the argument for why he wouldn't he be that is a good question kyle so i was opposed to boba fett returning for this show right. and part of the reason i was opposed to boba fett returning to this show is when he came back in legends uh i felt like the direction they went with him kind of softened him up a little bit so he like mellows out over time he comes back he does some bounty hunting but then he like becomes mandalore and moves back to hang out with the mandalorians and be their leader also he has a granddaughter for some reason i don't like that and when they brought him back i was like oh they're gonna try to do that thing where he's really popular so they're gonna kind of sand the edges off the bounty hunting thing and the fact he was a villain in the original six movies or the three of them that he was in but then he comes back in this one he's like i am 100 percent game with shooting this kid and i'm so like so you mentioned okay. that he was popular and he was only in some of the movies um what was it about him that made him such a character that people latched onto was it just his cool design was it his ad- like bounty hunter attitude the same reason they liked han and him being a foil to han like what what was it that drew people to boba fett we actually talked about this in our uh, recap of The Marshall, which is the first episode of this season, with Clayton. And we basically said at the time, part of it was the toy was really interesting and popular. So a lot of kids kind of latched onto the toy. Part of it was he was the first thing to appear in... That was going to be from Empire Strikes Back. He first appeared in the Star Wars Holiday Special. So it was kind of like the first look at Empire that people got at the time, and so people kind of latched onto it. And honestly, part of it just is the design. Mm -hmm. Like with Phasma, Kylo Ren, Vader, some of these mask designed, it's really easy to market those. And it's really easy to, like, do merchandising for those. So, I personally, I said this then, I'll say now, I personally don't get the idea of taking a minor character who was in two movies and blowing them up to a ridiculous extreme, Bradley. But, I mean, that's what, just me Was that pointed at Bradley because Bradley's also a minor character from one or two movies that has been marketed <laughs> to the extreme? Bradley is a big fan of Captain Phasma. Uh, and, and Bradley right. is still a little salty. Well, right, she's tall. She is tall. Yeah, she's very tall. Um, but, like, but, but no, I mean, okay. But if you're saying that part of the thing that made them popular was their toy and marketability and them being used as a promotional figure, then they were introduced and popular as a promotional figure. It does make sense for them to be used as a flagship character for these other things. So kids who were kids then, who are in their 40s now remember this really fondly you know to to the same way that like you get a special connection to the era you grew up in so my concern when they brought him back was oh they're gonna mellow him out which 
kind of, but not really. Like, he's still... He's still pretty ruthless in this. And, like, other characterizations of him in canon, looking at, like, Clone Wars, how he, like, builds a bomb at one point to try to kill Mace Windu. And, like, there's also the episode on, like, the train. Like, he's... Even as a a teenager, he's pretty, like, A-okay with doing morally reprehensible stuff. Yeah, they... I feel like the problem with this show, too, is that... Not that, like you said, like, they don't mellow him out, but they they do kind of slightly reduce him to a non... Like, not a... He's not a villain anymore. He's kind of been reduced to just being, like, a... I don't want to say neutral, like, evil, but Entity. he's, like, uh Yeah, he's just a very, like... He's not evil, but he's not good but he's not neutral like, i don't know it's really a fine line because i think the problem was in the in the original if you're just going based on movies right and you're not going based on cartoon you're not going you're not using any of that stuff no books no comics nothing just pure empire and return of the jedi he's a villain he's just a straight up villain he's very he's actually a very one note villain he's not complicated he is not he's just a bad guy and i think that's the problem with this show is they kind of make him seem more like well he kind of cares he kind of like will do good in when it serves him but like not in a like a morally questionable way it's just kind of more like a you know rewatching it it is interesting like even when he does things like protects the child it's more about his own personal honor. And some of the supplemental material talks about Boba Fett and how, like, he's big on reputation. So it's almost about, like, he wants to make sure he keeps a reputation as somebody who honors his deals. I think that he might have... Is that is that in common with our Mando? Uh, yeah, too. It was kind of a bounty hunter thing. Yeah. Is if you right. want to be a good bounty hunter, like a well-known bounty hunter, you want to make sure that you're you're keeping your deals. We see what happens to Mando in season 1 when he does not. And I mean, I guess that talking about the characterization, the only thing that like a layman like me knows about Boba Fett or the first thing I think of is that he is a bounty hunter, which definitively means he'll do what he has to do for his personal gain, for his paycheck. Right. And so with that as a through line, um, I guess some of this makes sense, but there is a lot of room to grow from that. Um, but also, not necessarily that the room to grow from that is inherently interesting or not. I'm. Well, we'll get to it when we we get to the final stinger at the end of episode eight. Uh, but I'm very interested to see how Boba Fett kind of will walk this line in Book of Boba Fett of he is not a a great, like, noble guy, but he's dealing with people that are even worse than him. Right. It's kind of like that. The example I like to use is the Cruella movie um, that came out on Disney+. Plus. Like, she's a villain, but then you're like, hey, here's another person who's worse than her and is the actual villain. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's... that does annoy me when things do that 
Yeah. Like when they when they do a villain origin story, and they say, "Oh no, they're not a villain," uh, because there's this other person that's like worse than them. Right. Uh, and God, Disney just they want the rights to Wicked so bad. Oh my God! They want yeah. it so bad. They want it so bad. It hurts. No, no, no. No, I think I think what you're trying. I didn't mean what I'm getting. What you're trying to say is that the Book of Boba show. I'm hoping what they don't do is. They don't make him a hero. They make him more of the anti-hero or the Batman kind of character where it's like, he's not great, but he's not evil. These guys. That make, yeah. Right. And I think a key element to that is going to be making sure that he is still a neutral evil guy. Right. Or at very least that he's still like a, a kind of a true neutral guy. Maybe part of that would be if they're really making it like, okay, he is a bounty hunter and that's the focus of the story, choosing targets that are those bad figures, right? It's not that he's necessarily being called to that noble cause as much as his interests align with the greater good. And Star Wars covered this kind of with Aftermath with my personal favorite character of the entire franchise, Sinjar Rath Velis, uh, but also with Jess, the bounty hunter. So they've, they've kind of done this before. Uh, so I'm interested to see where it goes. I'm also going to make an extremely nerdy reference that only Kyle will get, but I want to smugly show off the fact that I do get it now. Uh, Boba Fett is kind of a Liliana character. Ding, ding, ding. Yep. That's, that's how you do it. Where, yeah, nominally, they're like, in the gatewatch well, with the heroes but also they raise the dead and do bad things so right well i think actually there is someone who is a bounty hunter in the gatewatch which is kaya who's a ghostbuster like she, she kills ghosts and she does it for a paycheck but she won't take targets unless she really deems it worthwhile that she thinks it's like actually good to go and murder these people which i don't think from my understanding from what you're saying is not where Boba Fett's at right now, but might be the arc that they want to show him growing towards. But that might be projection. I just wanted to show off that uh, thanks to Kyle, I, I know about Magic the Gathering lore now. I also uh, I also have a boyfriend, by the way. I, I just figured I'd tack that on there after the Magic the Gathering Sorry, discussion. Sorry, listeners. Charles isn't single right now. Uh, but we are open and so are my DMs. Hey. <laughs> uh, somebody had to say this. Somebody had to say it. I, I'm gonna say it. Somehow Finnick Shand returned. Uh, honestly, I think it's just the way that they handled it in season one that makes people go like, nah, she was dead. Like, she was fucking dead. Like, she it wasn't was left dead. for dead. It wasn't left for dead. It's, she was dead. Now, if you had shown her, like, breathing, like, her, her breathing was, like, really labored. Like, she was, like, you know, like, really, she couldn't breathe at the end. Or, you know what I mean? Like, she's almost dying. And then, you know, the boots show up. Then I would have maybe believed you. But they show her, like, completely passed the fuck out. Like, she's dead. Like, you know. Hey, we previously talked about in another episode, if you don't see the body, they're not dead. Even if you see the body, they're, they might not be dead. <laughs> right. Yeah, I... It, like, on the I one mean, hand... It, it, it's hard to say, like, because 
obviously we also then Boba Fett who is not dead and we saw him get eaten right right and I mean it's hard because in Star Wars there's only so many very super definitive deaths like there is ones where they've died and then you see them as a ghost you know with you know Anakin and right. Obi-Wan and stuff like that or in that same movie Palpatine who you know is definitely very dead and has no way of coming back yeah and Palpatine, it's funny because Palpatine actually came back uh, in both canon and Legends the exact same way. So, Oh, did he? Yeah, it was extremely fucking stupid and we don't have time to get into how Legends did it. I, I was trying to basically just talk about how I don't. Still have not seen whatever the episode 9 Kyle is. Kyle has not seen Rise of Skywalker. Kyle is out here living his best what? life. Oh my god. We mentioned this you... last week. Uh, so that's what it, so this was the case last time I was on here and I'm proud to say that I have not consumed any Star Wars content since the last time I was on the show. <laughs> that was like almost a year ago. Was it? Oh god. Well, uh it was it I'm was several months ago. In several fairness, months ago, nothing, I mean. nothing has really come out except for Bad Batch, although I do highly recommend Bad Batch. It was extremely good. I just want to point out one tiny little note. Uh, Boba Fett's like, put them down at the put the things down at the same time. They absolutely do not put them down at the same time. Oh, I'm also pretty no. sure that Den never takes his jetpack off. I think he just turns the whistling birds off. During their conversation, a group of Imperial Stormtroopers show up to give this group a run for their money. Fennec and Boba take on the Imperials, providing us a glimpse of what the Book of Boba show will sort of be like. Mando leaves Grogu unprotected to help Boba and the gang. The Stormtroopers finally give up and retreat, but Boba gets the last shot in by taking out both enemy cruisers with his backpack missile. Out of nowhere, a blast comes out of the sky and blows up the Razor Crest. Mando is sad. I kind of grouped that whole entire. <laughs> I kind of grouped the whole entire action sequence into one big scene. So I, forgive me for like jumping right to the Razor Crest dying, but um, that was I just had to lump all that together. Top ten saddest anime deaths, right there. <laughs> no, it's there's there's not like a whole lot for us to look at in this yeah. sequence. Um, I do want to point out right off the bat, right off the bat, it is the first thing that needs to be talked about whenever this sequence is discussed. We need to talk about how fucking cool the gaffy stick fight is. Hmm, yeah. This is the one that I was like, if this were handled by a less competent director, it may have strayed over the line. Fortunately, Bradley, who did we get to direct this episode? Yes, so uh, most people will know him from the Spy Kids franchise, uh, Shark Boy and Lava Girl. Uh, Robert Rodriguez is the director of this episode. Yes, and he also directed Machete. So he's a extremely. I mean, I guess you can throw well, an we, adult we, film. We know. In there, well, but, you know. the the titles that you've named so far are all part of the same cinematic universe. So does that mean that they're also <laughs> part of the Star Wars universe? Yes. Technically, all of his films do take place in the same universe. So... Uh, so there you go. Hmm. Sharkboy and Lava Girl are just different types of Star Wars aliens. Sharkboy and Lava Girl are Star Wars canon. What, whatever planet they're on. I mean, Yeah. The shark people of one, and then the lava people of the other. It, 
Mm, okay. I don't know enough about Shark Boy and Lava Girl to refute that, but I'm pretty sure that they aren't <laughs> from a full race of people like them. So shark people are a thing. Uh, they're in Star Wars Caledonia or in Shark Boy Lava Girl? Uh, in oh. both. Shark people are a thing. They're in the Clone Wars episodes of um, the Mon Cala episode. There's yeah. A, there's mm. a shark guy. Uh, I forget what they're called. It starts with a C. Uh, as far as lava girls, not <laughs> really. That Unless you count Anakin. <laughs> right. I was, I was, I was going to say that. I was like, it was a terrible joke, but I was like, <laughs> Anakin counts as a lava An- boy. Anakin's so. a lava boy. <laughs> but he's an extremely prolific like he has a reputation as a really good actor director but then he randomly occasionally goes off and makes these films for like his kids right uh which good on you man he also like he's really interesting because the way he does his films he like super he doesn't have a big team that he works with it's really minimalist and he just it, it's like a kid with a camcorder and a laptop he goes out and shoots these movies and edits them just because he can it was also a last minute choice to come in and direct this episode they had somebody else who had to back out at the last minute i forget mm-hmm. who it was but he just came in and was like i'm gonna do the best action sequence in this entire series now Oh yeah, it was nonstop action. I, I actually really enjoyed it because it was kind of nonstop. It doesn't, it doesn't have like a, a pace to where, it it's not so fast that you feel like you're being. It's not like Fast and Furious movies where it's like too much action or like the Transformers movies. Like there's so much they're throwing at you, but it was fast enough to where you're like, the episode didn't feel long, because of it. One thing I do want to point out about the Gaffy Stick fight that I think is really cool. Uh, so Tamara Morrison, who plays Boba Fett, is Maori. Uh, and the Maori are fucking badass. Like, if you've seen the behind-the-scenes footage for Lord of the Rings, a lot of their stunt people were Maori. And they're just, they're so fucking cool. Like, I love them so much. But... The gaffy stick is based on a Maori weapon. And so they actually, if you look at the gaffy stick in this episode, it's slightly elongated. It's slightly longer than normal gaffy sticks. The reason is Timur Morrison specifically asked it for it to be that way. So that, uh, so that he could incorporate his Maori training into his choreography. That's really cool. And I guess that this is as good a time as any to talk about the racial themes in this episode and the context of trying to find your people or connect with a land that you are supposed to have a connection with, even though you've never been there before, or trying to... There, there's a lot of different elements to it because there's Grogu... And Mando as this adoptive father who is not part of Grogu's culture, either in terms of, like, whatever alien race he is, but also as the Jedi, right? He's like, he says, I need you to be with your people. And he's talking about the Jedi. And when Boba Fett comes and asks, hey, this, that was my armor, I want my armor back. He, um, 
he says, well, are you a Mandalorian? Right? He's like, are is this for your... It, 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 there's just so many different dynamics of it all going at, on at once that all kind of get halted when the literal imperialist force comes and invades <laughs> to take this up. Like, it, it, it's... It's not necessarily yeah. clear if it's... It's raising a lot of questions without giving a lot of answers other than fuck the Empire. But politics is not in Star Wars. They would <laughs> no, never No, it never that. has been. The entire show from day one has been... It, it's called The Mandalorian. The show is about identity. Yeah. Like, who you are and what does it mean to, to be a certain identity? Either something you have claimed for yourself or something that you are just culturally a part of and i think some of the dynamic with boba fett part of the reason i was basically okay with them bringing boba fett in one thing i did think they did do really well was the relationship between boba and the other mandalorians uh particularly mm-hmm. din in this episode because din is a hardliner din is like a super hardline traditionalist cultist who's like you have to do things exactly my way and then boba's over here like no and also fuck you but also my personal choices do not invalidate my legacy as the descendant of a mandalorian right so just because i chose not to do this specific mandalorian stuff i chose to go do my own thing doesn't make me any less of the son of a Mandalorian or deserving of the armor that my father wore. So it's almost like the cultural identity coming into conflict with the familial identity. Uh, And it comes Mm -hmm. up later on in episode eight when they talk to Bo-Katan in one of my absolute favorite scenes. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. uh, This also reflected in the, uh, I think it was the, the, the Eris episode as well, because when he confronts Bo-Katan in that episode, he's like, are you guys actual Mandalorians? And he's like, prove it to me. You know what I mean? And they're like, you know, she says, uh, bitch, I'm I from am the royal Bo- fucking family. Like, I'm I am Bo-Katan. Bo-Katan of House right. Kree's. Right. Shut like, up. The, one of the most famous fucking families in all of Mandalorian history. So I don't understand why you're asking me if I'm a Mandalorian. So it's like, I feel like it's a similar thing here. He's like, are you an actual Mandalorian? He's like, uh, yeah, uh, duh. My father was before me. And uh, that's my fucking armor. So give it back. Yeah, it's it's definitely looking at looking at the show through that lens the idea of it being cultural identity, you know, where where do you belong, and how do you also reconcile your cultural identity with who you are as a person? I'm really, I'm excited to see where they go in season three with it, because I mm-hmm. feel like a lot of this stuff is going to come to a head in right. season three. Uh, but it also goes back to what we were talking about with Ahsoka last week, where everybody calls her a Jedi. She never refers to herself as such. Not once in her episode. Because she doesn't consider herself one, even if everybody else right. thinks they do. Hmm. So, it's an interesting topic to look at. Like, to analyze it through the series through that lens. So, to, speaking of Boba Fett, uh, he does put the armor back on later on yes, in the sequence. Yes, he finally got his armor We'll back. just skip to that. And then we'll jump back and talk about some other stuff. But I do want to talk about 
the fucking armor that he yeah. when he puts it on <laughs> and he like looms up over the guy and he's like yeah yeah i'm boba fett fuck you so i had something about this part um <laughs> it's kind of funny i mean i know it's not meant to be funny but it made me laugh like so when we see the full shot of him in the armor it's almost as if like it doesn't fit him anymore. Like, he's a little overweight. Like, <laughs> So this was a big deal in the fandom that a lot of people were actually really upset uh, and making yeah. a lot of really, really, like, fatphobic comments about it. Right. Uh, where they were like, oh, it doesn't fit, yada, yada, yada. And somehow that invalidates the awesomeness of the scene. No, I think it makes it better. Yeah. Like, he's, he's clearly older. He's right. clearly different than he was 10 years ago, the last time, or five years ago, the last time he wore this armor. And he's still rocking it like a badass. Right. He's still able to, like, go with his instincts and, like, use everything and, you know, kick ass. Like, with at being out of practice. And oh, by the way, that armor, he threw it on in, like, five minutes. Right. Like, he, he runs onto the ship throws this thing on he's obviously not going to buckle everything like perfectly into place and we right. see in episode seven and eight when he's wearing the armor he's had a little more time to get it right in the position it should be this time he clearly just threw it on right there you go no it's i thought it was awesome like the idea of he puts it back on and he's still rocking it after all. also it was being worn by people before like it was Close that he's just gotten back from someone else who was not him wearing it. Right. And so who knows what effect that might have had to. Yeah. I I also loved that uh, the knee rockets, which have been a thing since Empire Strikes Back, finally get fired. We have never seen those things get fired before. But he does have the knee rockets. Uh, some minor, minor little details. Uh, the first the kind of first order transports. Uh, this is the first time we've seen them, but I did like how reminiscent they were of the first order transports. Uh, yeah. I was going to say it when I was rewatching um, this scene, I was like this, like visually like the scene where he shoots them down. I was like, that looks a little too close to rise of Skywalker. I was like, that was like almost the shot for shot. Like they, they took the animation or something and then they just kind of like changed the filter. Like, you know how the whole, uh, Disney used to do that back in the day with all their old cartoons. Like it's that's what it seems like yeah. they did here. I did like the tie-in, even though we've established in in prior episodes that we have some questions about how much contact this this particular branch of the Empire is having with hmm. the First Order. Uh, I did find the bit where he goes flank them, you idiot, and then the guy like pops out and they get shot. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> hilarious. There was a lot of good physical comedy in this. Like, I know this is not in this moment, but, like, everything with trying to get Grogu out of the meditation circle, and it's like, Mom, I can't save during a cutscene. Like, you can't come and try to drag me away right now. Oh, that's perfect. Oh, that's absolutely uh, perfect. It really is. Uh, And, like, the stormtrooper jumping onto the transport. I kind of like staggering his way up. Yeah. Like, hang on, hang on, hang on. Wait, <laughs> I'm not on yet. No. 
Well, what's funny too is this kind of they they did this at the end of season one, and then now we're kind of getting that again. Is you're like you uh, discussed in previous episodes how the people that are in the empire now are not the best of the best. No. They are the rejects, the losers, the people who were left behind to not be in the first order. Either, either the people that Gallius Rex decided he didn't want to follow him right. into the unknown regions, uh, which he didn't end up going. Ray Sloan ended up going because she killed him. But or it's like people who are just awful fascist bullies and want to be right. awful fascist bullies. Uh, and so they sign up for the Empire just so they can bully people because they're dicks. Right. And, right. like, this scene proves that because that guy is, I, I'm assuming it's not his boss, but you know what I mean? Like, the upper... It's, a, it's upper, a command. It's a field commander. Yeah, commander, right. He's like, you idiot. He calls him, like, an idiot. You know what I mean? Like, he's like, they clearly have no love for each other in the Empire. Like, it's very much like a fuck you, like, just get your job done, like, you know, kind of situation. Well, it also stands in stark contrast to the way that Fennec Shand and Den are like, when they do that bit where they fight back to back, it's pretty in sync with each other. Right. Like, they haven't worked together before, it doesn't feel like, but they like, we're able to adapt and instinctually we're like, okay, we've got enough training to know I'm going to be back to back with someone. They're going to cover my back. I'm going to cover theirs. This is how we're going to do it. Uh, I did also like that he was like, yeah, you can leave now. And she's like, okay, bye. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, definitely looking at this empire. And I'll have a note here in a minute about the empire. But this one is definitely a disorganized mess. And I feel like Moff Gideon does his best. But there's some problems going on here. We need, we need to talk in detail about the razor crest getting blown up oh yeah i was like you're gonna tragedy. you're gonna just gonna gloss over that and we're just gonna yeah. keep going <laughs> well they spend like minutes for, of him going through the wreckage for yeah. the edits uh later um yes i i almost tried to move on and then remembered at the last minute ah yes yeah the, the ship got blown up uh yeah the titular tragedy of the episode well what's funny too about this and i don't know if this is a smart choice on their part or maybe it is i don't know maybe like because we don't know anything about season three so you know what i mean like we don't have no idea but i did find it odd that they pulled what they were going to do in the uh, original series where that there was the original plan was to blow up the millennium falcon and be like okay it's over like you know that series is dead like it was supposed to be like this symbolic like you know, the old series is gone and now the new series is here. I feel like they did that. They actually did it with the Razor Crest. And then now we're like, wait a minute. He has no ship. And like, that's weird. Like, it's just weird that they what? did that. And like, it got blown up so utterly and completely that they're not going to be able to be like, oh, he's going right. to put it back to me. Like, that ship is constantly getting the crap kicked out of it. I don't know. They did it with Fennec Shan. <laughs> I mean, no, that's I know, a but good point. But the the running joke in the show is that the sh the ship is always being quote unquote destroyed, right? And then getting fixed. So it's right. like I, it's even like, in the first season they did that. Yeah, it's so getting the ship kicked out of it, then you just bring it to Amy Sedaris. Yeah, 
And exactly. so the, th- the thing is, Charles, I want to circle back, though, because you called this the tragedy. You called yes. this the t- titular tragedy of episode This is the titular tragedy. That's interesting. Tragedy. So why, why do you view the, you know, the destruction of the Razor Crest as the tragedy? Uh, because it... Because he wasted money on the Lego set, and he was like, "This okay. is he. This okay. is why he's sad." I did not. He... I did not buy the Lego set yet, uh, but the tragedy <laughs> is now I have to buy it with the knowledge that it's only going to be again. in these yeah. two seasons, <laughs> and that is going to make me sad. Right. No, I. I feel like the tragedy, uh, you know, offhand being what it is, this is a huge portion of it. Because when you look at what happens in this episode, right? Din loses basically everything that's important to him in one fell swoop. Right. He loses the Razor Crest and he loses Grogu in one episode. And the loss of the Razor Crest probably is the one that's the biggest deal because it's the irreversible one. Mm-hmm. They can go after mm. Grogu and they do. He will never get the Razor Crest back. That is part of his identity, and that is something that Moff Gideon has taken away from him. And so he, when he goes forward, he may get a new ship, but it will not be the same ship. And he may love that new ship, you know, in its own way, but it will not be the Razor Crest. He will only have memories of the Razor Crest and that ball thing from here on out. And that is utterly heartbreaking. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Especially in this moment where he's, you know, being forced to confront parts of identity. The Razor Crest being the one solid external thing that helped define him and that others knew him for. Like, they could see it coming from a distance and they knew what it was. And how it was his key to, like, being able to move around, you know, navigate through these places because of its, like, specific registration status or whatever. Like, right. that can't be replaced. Yeah, you're right. There's there's a trope of... You see it particularly a lot in video games. Uh, but it happens also in, in TV shows pretty prominently where the main characters will have their base of operations... And the player or the viewer will be really attached to that base of operations, and then it will either get destroyed or invaded. Uh, the most, the best example that I can think of in modern memory was Dragon Age Inquisition, uh, where light spoilers for Dragon Age Inquisition, you spend probably the first 15 to 20 hours of the game, uh, depending on, on how you're playing it, at a particular town and that is your base you have all your people are there uh you have all your facilities set up there and then about 20 hours into the game it gets attacked and destroyed and it's one of the best moments of video game storytelling that i've seen uh because this place that you've been running around and popping back to 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 restock your potions and do your quests and talk to your companions that's on fire and gone now and yeah you get a cool new castle out of it but there is definitively a sense of the protagonist having to confront something after losing that and i feel like den kind of has to go through the same thing with the loss of the razor crest and maybe too that's why he jumps so hard into i need to rescue grogu because grogu is kind of all he has left after the destruction of the razor crest we cut to 
the inside of an Imperial cruiser where Moff Gideon had given the command to destroy the Razorcrest. During this time, he engages the Dark Troopers. They come down to the planet and grab Baby Yoda and fly away. Mando surveys the wreckage of his ship, and all that's left is a joystick ball and a Beskar spear. Boba and Fennec agree to help Mando get the child back. We we are going to put a pen in the Dark Troopers again. I know we put a pen in the Dark Troopers in episode four. (laughs) I know I said I would talk about them. Oh my goodness. I will. I promise they're coming. There is a specific line of dialogue that I'm going to use to talk about where the Dark Troopers are from. But it hasn't happened yet. And also, we don't want to keep Kyle through another unnecessarily long explanation. So (laughs) we're going to keep that pen in the Dark Troopers. Okay. I promise... An explanation of them is coming. Okay, well, in that case, the only thing I'll say about the Dark Troopers um, in this scene, what I thought was really cool, was when they show the close-up of the Dark Troopers' quote-unquote face, um, you can see the moisture running on the um, their face like when they're coming down into the atmosphere. I just thought that was really cool because they had just come from space, so that's the ice melting off of their bodies, basically. The same like, moisture we saw from the ship crash in Episode 3. There you go. When they did the Apollo 13 sequence in Episode yeah. 3. So I just thought that was really just a nice little touch. I thought it was good that we brought up the Empire a minute ago because Boba Fett, when he he pulls up into the upper atmosphere and is like, the Empire is back. Right. What? I found that line really interesting because, yeah, we've been talking about in previous episodes, the Empire was supposed to be destroyed at Jakku. That was it. It was over. Mm. Like, there were maybe a few holdouts. So I find it interesting that he's like, he sees one cruiser and he's like, shit, the Empire's back. Like you didn't you didn't get this from the stormtroopers. You didn't put that together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the giant group that you just <laughs> spent 30 minutes like literally about 50 stormtroopers that you just beat up. You didn't think, "Hmm, I guess they're still active." Like we know at- that you've been under a rock because you've literally been in pits on Tatooine, but like I, th- I think that you can tell not just from the battle you just had, but if you've just been around at all. Maybe you were in a spice dream the whole time, dude. I don't, I don't know what's going on here, but maybe it's just a shock to him because he's been on Tatooine and somebody told him like the Empire is gone, and he's like, mm. "Shit, the Empire's back." Like I don't know who's he been talking to. I mean, he's been alone on Tatooine for about five years, clearly, so I don't know <laughs> if he knows much. Uh, I am glad that you brought up the timeline, because I want to talk about the chain code. Okay, great. So Let's talk let's, about it. Let's talk about the chain code. He says the chain code has been imprinted for 25 years. Last time, we said that this takes place roughly 30 years after Order 66. Kyle, you do math. So I'm going to throw some numbers at you. <laughs> All right, repeat gonna, the numbers for me. You're going to check me on this math. 
So Mando takes place in 9 ABY. So it's, it's nine years after the events of A New Hope. Uh, Revenge of the Sith takes place in, I believe, 18 BBY. So my approximation off the top of my head is that Mando takes place 27 years after the events of Order 66. Wait, so you said 981? 9 ABY after the Battle nine of So 9 9 plus 18 equals 27, right Kyle? Correct. Yes. I I'm, I'm I'm gay. I can't yes, do Yes, 9 plus 18 is 27. Okay. okay. <laughs> so it's it's roughly 27 years after Order 66. So my question is this, uh did the chain code get put in as part of the Empire initiative or what happened here? Because it would have been after Order 66 hmm. that this gets put in. And considering what the chain code actually says, I'm interested to know at exactly what point this armor was implanted with this. Because you're right. Because in Bad Batch, we, we learned that the chain code is not Empire thing. Like, it's like, hey, here's a, you know chain code for everybody here's your driver's the, license basically right here's your driver's license theoretically they could just be calling this a chain code because that's the current nomenclature like that's like just the popular term that people use because the empire's been around for so long this could have already been a thing that all mandalorian armor things have they just didn't call it a chain code before i think maybe they're just calling it a chain code now because think, that's just what you call it. You think the Empire appropriated it from the Mandalorians? No, no, I don't. I don't think that. I, I think what I'm saying is like the code was already in the Mandalorians' armor, and that's just something the Mandalorians have always done. They, it just they probably didn't call it chain code. They might have called it like okay. Here's my, my here's my armor registration, like, and it's always been in there. But now, that's just the terminology of what that thing is. They just call it that. They call it a change code. That's just that's what they call it. Now, Bradley, you you said you had found a translation of exactly what the chain code says. Yes, and so for when I when I say each thing, then you can translate to Kyle okay. what they all are. So, okay. um, so the chain it said uh, on on the Wikipedia, um, the chain code <laughs> contains a couple different phrases. Um, one of them is foundling. So foundlings are basically adopted members of a Mandalorian covert. Um, that I knew because that was a major theme. That you knew. Okay. Um, the one of them says father fet. So sh- I think that that might be a mistranslation because I, from my understanding, it's supposed to be daddy fet. <laughs> that would also apply to Django. Um, it is a family legacy. Uh, right. of of being daddy, uh, both of both of these these characters. Yes, it do, I'm daddy. sorry, I miss I misspoke. <laughs> it does it was translated as daddy fet, but I, yes. I miss I misspoke. Probably so. This is probably yeah, that might refer to Django. Django, right? Um, Here's where also, I it says. Though. Oh, I was gonna say one of the other ones is just Boba Fett. It just says Boba Fett. Um, says so his obviously his name. 
Um, and then the one that I, one of the ones I, I, well, actually, I'm sorry. I knew one of them, but the one of them I did not know. So we'll start with the one I didn't know. Um, it says mentor jest. Jester. Okay. So in the original legends, uh, we're going to go way back. Tales of the Bounty Hunters established Jaster Mareel as Boba Fett's real name. When Attack of the Clones came out and retconned that, because George Lucas did not give a shit about your expanded universe, didn't care, and only put things in the film because he thought they were cool or someone peer pressured him into it. Uh, Jaster was retconned to be a completely separate character. Jaster was actually... Um, Django Fett's adoptive father and mentor. He kind of adopted mm. Django into the Mandalorians uh, and trained him. Django's first ship was named the Jester's Legacy, and it kind of actually looked like the Razorcrest. For being kind of mm. for being completely honest here, um, mm. to my memory. So this is interesting too. This is an Easter egg. Talked about the okay. difference between an Easter egg and just a fucking thing that's in there. This yeah. is an Easter egg, at least to my recollection. Um, I would have to I would have to Google what the ship looks like afterwards. But yes, uh, the implication now that that this Easter egg might hint at the fact that the character Jester Muriel might factor into Django Fett's backstory a little bit more than we originally thought. Hmm might be recanonized. And what's the last thing, Bradley, that you actually did recognize? So the one thing I did recognize, because I, I mean, I've heard the name before, uh, so I knew generally about it, because um, I've also seen, of course, you know, the cartoons and stuff. Um, it was Concord Dawn was one of the other phrases. Concord Dawn is a half-destroyed planet in the Mandalore system. Uh, we see it in Rebels. It, it's a planet that's there. Uh, Fen Rao, who's a character in Rebels, is the protector of Concord Dawn, uh, and I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure we land on it at one point, either in Rebels or Clone Wars. But it's a planet in the Mandalore system. What's interesting about this? So Django. <laughs> so way back in Clone Wars, uh, Prime Minister Almec, who is the Prime Minister of the Mandalorians, he's he's Duchess Satine. Uh, Kreese's right-hand man. He says, Jango Fett is nothing more than a common mercenary who stole Mandalorian armor, and he's not a real Mandalorian. Turns out, Almec is a lying piece of shit. He is a politician, so this is not a surprise. But it turns out that Jango is not only a foundling, but Jango actually fought in the Mandalorian Civil War. Now, I know I got a refresher on this because earlier this, this weekend, I posted a TikTok about uh, why uh, Corky Kreese is, is definitely, definitely uh, Satine and Obi-Wan's love child. But in it, I was reading about the Mandalorian Civil War, and I think the implication is this is the same Civil War. That Django fought in the Civil War, where the new Mandalorians, under Satine's leadership, were fighting against uh, the traditionalist Death Watch. Uh, I, I don't know whether or not Death Watch had formed, but they were fighting against those traditionalists. Here's the interesting thing, though. 
I think Django might have been fighting against Satine. That would make Be- sense. Because if because in in Legends he was I think part of Death Watch or was affiliated with them in some way. Uh, I'd have to double check that. I didn't research that, but. Hmm. It would make sense for him to be on the losing side, and then when he loses, his side loses the war, he's like, well, time to just be a simple man trying to make my way in the universe, and fucks off. Right. He gets paid money to make some clones. Yep. He gets paid (laughs) money to make them, he gets paid money to train them, he still gets to bounty hunt. Right. He's He's making it. Uh, obligatory promotion to uh, read a thing that Charles recently read and thought was really cool. Age of Republic did a uh, the maxi series for the comics. I just read all of them. They did an issue on Django with Django and Boba going after a bounty. It's really cool. Go read it. Uh, this would, of course, require you to be able to read, which unfortunately Bradley t- cannot. Right. The last note I had for this scene... Actually, I have two more notes for this scene. Uh, firstly, I'm really interested in the term spice stream. Yes, I wrote that down. So we know, Kyle, as a, a refresher, uh, because you do things besides talk about Star Wars on the internet. Spice is, uh, basically, the best way to explain it is it's kind of the Star Wars version of, like, a raw amphetamine where it's used for medicinal purposes, but it's also used as a drug. Hmm. So, gotcha. r- raw huh. spice can be refined into medicine, or it can be refined into very potent drugs. And this term, spice dream, is our first indication of what spice actually does. Hmm. Which it seems to be a hallucinogen? Right. Well, I thought it was funny, too, because it's a... Obviously, Spice was taken from the Dune series, right? Which is what it's... How uh, do you know what the Dune series is? Well, first of all, I don't live under a rock, and everybody knows that it's coming to HBO Max in uh, two weeks from this recording. So, um, I will be watching it, uh, because... I mean, obviously, I will, too, uh, for reasons. No, no, no. I, I do know that Dune is one of the uh, where George Lucas got a lot of his inspiration for Star Wars. So I, I'm pretty uh, I'm pretty hip in knowledge of these things, Charles. Um, you know, I do have a Star Wars podcast. So really, I hadn't noticed. You may <laughs> note that there are a lot of Dunes on Tatooine. Yes, there's even a character, Cara Dune. Right, I know it's. It's just so, like so many references. Theory, like it's <laughs> coming through. Um, oh. No, but in I, it was explained to me because I I've tried to watch the original Dune movie. It's really hard to get through. It's it's really hard. Um, I'm not a super nerd, so I can't watch that. It's just really it's hard to watch. I watched the first thirty I, minutes and quit. I'll level <laughs> with you. Like even as much of a nerd as as I am, I've historically struggled with the book. Like. I'm yeah. going to out myself as there are weaknesses to my nerddom. I have not actually finished Dune. I have started gotcha. it like four or five times, and I, I just have not been able to finish it. Um, gotcha. 
possibly after I see the movie. Like, I've read enough yeah. of the book to have read through what I expect is going to be the plot of this movie. Right. Possibly after, I may go back and try to get through the rest of the book. Hmm. So, one of the things that was explained to me about the Dune series is that the humans in Dune, they essentially do the spice. <laughs> Yes. And it gets you, like, not magic powers, but you know what I mean. Like, it, it's enlightenment, right? That's the whole purpose of the Spice in the Dune series. And so it's just interesting that he he says that in here. He goes, it's a Spice dream. So one of the things that was explained to me is that there's these beings in Dune that it's basically humans who have done too much Spice and have, like, the ability to, like, travel through space or something. Like, and so I was like, well, there, there's like five different possible outcomes. They're all different powers from my understanding. Okay. One of the powers is sporty. One is scary. <laughs> one is posh. Shut up. <laughs> oh my God. I'm dead. Okay. I was trying to make a very real sci-fi connection. Point so was I. took that to a whole other level. Listen, Spice World was quite the sci-fi thriller spice oh world as we God. know is is the uh official sequel to dune right my final my final note for this sequence uh when he's digging through the wreckage of the ship um just the fantastic score ludwig uh Gorwinson's score the cinematography really sells how emotional this moment is even through the helmet like, my heart breaks for this guy, and I can't even see his face. Yep. In our final scene, uh, the Mando crew take the Slave One to Navarro, oddly enough, to seek out Cara Dune for some help. Mando asks her to locate a prisoner we may or may not have met before in a previous episode. And he, apparently, is going to help the group uh, catch up to the Imperial cruiser, which has Baby Yoda. We cut to the final scene where Moff Gideon is dealing with his own prisoner, Baby Yoda, who is proving to be very difficult for these stormtroopers. The computer screen with the <laughs> names that flash by. Okay. I'm going to get this out of the way right up front. Every single fucking screen, every single one is an Easter egg. Basically every prison that has existed in canon or Legends, is listed on one of those screens. <laughs> I will not be going through all 12 of them or so. No god. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, Bradley, I would happily torture you for this amount of time, but Kyle has graciously given up some of his free time to be here, so I don't want to overload him. Uh, so you're very lucky Kyle is here, Bradley. <laughs> but I do want to shout out two of my favorite prisons that are mentioned here. Uh, and I do also want to say, again, when I research these episodes, one of the things I do is I check Star Wars Explained, Alex Damon, his video on Mando Season 2, where he went through all the Easter eggs. I catch basically the same ones as him, but he has a lot of them that I miss. So I'm constantly directing people back to the video. I'm going to direct people to it here because he actually does go through every single fucking prison and outlines what they are. But the two that I wanted to point out, uh, one of them that is listed is Sunspot Prison. Uh, it's basically a prison that's 
a rebel prison. That's what's interesting about it. So the rebels actually had a prison uh, in between A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back where they would keep people. It got destroyed before Empire. I guess it got rebuilt. Uh, but its thing is that it was super close to a sun. The other one I want to bring up, it, because it is actually relevant, uh, one of them is mentioned as being on a place called Uvu 4. Uvu 4 is an asteroid prison that is one-third of, basically one-third of the game for Star Wars Bounty Hunter. So that came out uh, for... I, I played it on the GameCube, but I'm sure it came out for other things. I'm sure it'll make a return to the Switch. But Uvu 4 is actually, in Legends, is where Django got Slave 1. Slave 1 was one of six unique Fire Spray-class ships that were designed specifically for this prison to guard it. Django stole one, turned the ship around, and blew all the others up. So that was actually where he got it. Um, oh. So, definitely worth seeking out that Star Wars Explained video if you want to know every single fucking prison in the Star Wars universe, canon, and legends, because it's <laughs> all on there. That also means that if there's any prisons that show up later in the series that were not on that list, we're going to have questions. Yes. <laughs> well, it almost... Or we'll know that they're new or something like that. It almost is like the New Republic is kind of, might be repurposing imperial prisons as well to hold imperial prisoners which is kind of yikes right kind of yikes um but yes those are all those easter eggs for that scene the only other note i have for that scene um is it's not a very strong acting job i mean what do you do from our uh this is about? another good indicator of how she's very good when you give her one specific thing to do and when she has to sell things that are not that one specific scene it, yeah. it's a little weak like the moment where he's like they have the kid and she's supposed to be like drop her entire thing yeah I got that from the context of the scene, but I didn't really get that from her performance at all. Yeah, I got that from because she says it, not because, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it was not her demeanor or the way she acted it where she's like, oh my God, I have to help you. Like, you know, it's Baby Yoda or die. Like, she was just like, oh, yes, we must help Baby Yoda. I don't think she verbally says it in the episode, but, like, obviously we know that's the intent of the scene because we've read one right. book. Uh, assuming Bradley has read at least one book or seen one TV show, obviously that's the direction they're going, but her her performance in this scene with the different lines where she has to... Her delivery is just so weird yeah, in this it's scene. Odd. Moff Gideon does the Imperial Hallway Walk. Again, this is some of the best Moff Gideon stuff that we get in the show as a whole. I mean, it's just this one scene where he's in there with Baby Yoda. I I genuinely thought, like, this this shows you why he's a real villain. Like, why he's a good villain. 
Well, he has a cape, for starters. And then he (laughs) walks down the hallway flanked by stormtroopers and the cape billows. And that is how you know he's a bad guy. (laughs) That. And also, I like how when he's in the cell with Baby Yoda, and Baby Yoda is, you know, choking out, uh, (laughs) the force choking out all these uh, um, stormtroopers, he's like... He's he's like no let him let him do it, like I want to see I want to see him do it, like I think that is probably the most one the most evil thing you can do, like mm-hmm. just who the fuck your own men right like who cares, that's so that's already evil enough. The second evil thing is that he's like just like letting people die. Like I don't know, it's just so funny. Like ah oh, god, it's such a good. Scene. I think one of the other evil things that needs to be said is the little baby sized handcuffs. <laughs> He has little baby, baby return where do they the Jedi even, Where do they even get those from? So there are species that are are that size. So maybe the Empire just has like racks of shackles. That's what I'm saying. Like they just have tons of them. Or can we assume that they shrink and grow in size depending on how they want them to be utilized? Well, I want to think that they take the measurements and they're like, all right, you're an 18 around the wrists, okay? And they're using, you know... Yes. Unfortunately, they use the imperial system because, obviously, they're the Empire. Right. Um, which makes it harder for them to find exact sizes because they <laughs> don't use metric. Yeah, it's... It, maybe they just have, like, shackles around for small... I would have to double-check because I vaguely remember Luke shackles in Return of the Jedi being a little too big for him. And right. the ones that Chewbacca wears seeming like they're a little too small. Maybe it's just because of he's a giant walking carpet. But right. my my real note here is this scene does a very good job, one, of outlining how evil Moff Gideon is and how competent he is and how he's willing to sacrifice his own men. But also kind of why Grogu needs training because contrary to what ahsoka says where she's like let his abilities fade gideon's like you're getting more powerful yeah as you get older or possibly as you become more attached to din Mm. and so you're getting more upset and it's coming out more we will get to in episode eight the complicated feelings i have about what happens to grogu at the end of that episode but part of the reason it is complicated is this scene does a good job of highlighting how the consequences for him not being properly trained are starting to manifest more remember he there's that scene where he choked out cara dune right at the end of season one and now he's just tossing stormtroopers around like they're ragdolls Right. It's dangerous to have a toddler with phenomena, phenomenal cosmic powers. <laughs> yes. Um, I also like how, uh, to, be, to be fair, though, he is in a situation where he's scared and he's by himself. So he is resorting to, you know, his basic instinct of, I must protect myself at any cost. So... He, well, right, and that's the know, danger. Right. That's And that's... I like what you said, Charles, about how the part of the growth there that Gideon might be looking at is his attachment to... is Grogu's attachment to Din because, you know, that's the, the Sith way is 
all is about attachments and passion, right? And the Jedi were for so long trying to say like you can't have those because they can be exploited. Well, here his love is what could potentially lead him astray, and is part of what you know this desperation, even if it is fought, you know. Um, manifesting in the way of choking out, you know, imperial people, the Gideon's happy to see it because it's like, oh, this this is exploitable. Yes, it is. When you draw your motivation from like an attachment, like a deep emotional place like that, like with any emotion, it is easier to manipulate, and that is, I think, part of the power of the Sith. And the way they work, and Palpatine in particular being very good at this, because he trains his apprentices to draw from their emotion, but their emotions that Palpatine can manipulate. And Palpatine's very good at hiding his emotions, so it's a very one-way power dynamic. Ironic. <laughs> the, uh, the Jedi, by contrast, you know, they, they have things a little more in check, but they also lose a lot of insight that way. A big theme of the prequels is the Jedi are so disconnected that they fail to recognize the power of the dark side rising. And even though the clues are literally smacking them in the face and they have whole conversations about our ability to use the forces being diminished, our vision is being clouded, we don't know what's going on, rather than try to figure out what's going on with that, tell the senate they have a whole conversation in episode three i think about we need to tell the senate and they decide no or i think it's episode two actually that they have that conversation so it's definitely like a more exploitable kind of thing to draw from emotions like that but a different kind of exploitable so I also just love Grogu throwing the things around, the stormtroopers around. Um, another thing, too, is uh, Gideon, he taunts him in another way, too, um, when he pulls out the Darksaber. And he kind of shows him, and he's like, I bet you've seen, like, a couple of different, you know, lightsabers in your life, right? And he's like, oh, but you're not going to get one anytime soon you know what i mean like he's like you're a little you're still a little too young to have a lightsaber kind of thing which leads me to believe uh are they trying to set up the fact that grogu's gonna get a lightsaber by the end of the show well so let's talk about that piece of official art that debuted uh a couple of months ago so a piece of official art came out uh official branded art uh that was done just by an artist uh that actually showed Grogu with Luke building a lightsaber. And they had to go on and clarify that that is not necessarily an indicator of something that is happening in canon. They just thought it looked cool. Right. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. Sure. They hmm. swear up and down that Grogu is not going to have a lightsaber. They didn't say that he's not going to. They just can neither confirm nor deny <laughs> the presence of a lightsaber. Right. Hmm. Also, even if he did have one, it would be super fucking tiny, and there'd be literally no point of it. Like, it would not reach anything. Like, get a little baby training saber. No, it would be like a knife. He would have like a lightsaber <laughs> knife. No, lightsaber it's uh, actually. Knife. 
I was gonna, you know what? Basically, uh, from the solo movie, the um, little uh, weapons that um, uh, what's his face has Dryden the, Voss. Uh, Dryden Voss has. They're like little, not they're not actual lightsabers, the but they're like little vibro knives. Vibro knives that have like lasers on them. Yeah. Is it final thoughts on the episode? Um, Kyle, you want to go first? Sure. I mean. Obviously, a lot happened in this episode, or rather, like, I mean, it's, for a short episode, and this is what something you mentioned, it's compact, but also the things that happened are not just, like, events in one story. It's, like, series-defining events. Like, oh, these characters are back. Oh, they took the child. Oh, my ship that I've used every single episode is destroyed. Like, and, oh, we're building our team you know dream team to go try to do the rescue mission like it's a lot of things with gravity and i I think it was done decently well and i don't know it's very it's very enjoyable but it it's so unresolved in a way that a lot of the other episodes aren't Right, it's very much like, oh, this is episode is not meant to stand alone. It's not. It, it's very much to be continued. Yeah, and I can show you the Jedi, and and that works perfectly on its own. But yeah, this one is is really the first part of a trilogy. Right, and because we we started with a trilogy, in the beginning of the season, all the episodes were written by John Favreau, and funny enough. The new trilogy starts now, and guess who it's written by? Uh, I'm going to guess Parton. John Favreau. Right. <laughs> Although I like Kyle's answer better. <laughs> but it's, just, it's, it's worth noting that, yes, this is the beginning of the end of the season, and this is the first in the trilogy. So I'll do my final thoughts, and I'll do my ranking. I thought it was a good episode. You know, I think they're all good episodes. They're all well-crafted episodes. As far as being a backdoor pilot pretty effective in terms of just communicating to us what the tone of the Boba Fett show is going to be like. Uh, I thought it did a good job of that. It didn't feel like it needed to set it up at all because it was going to do it later in the season. So decent return. Definitely this time watching it with an eye on his characterization. I wasn't quite so clouded by my dislike of the fact that he was back. I was able to examine that a little more um, analytically. And look at what they're doing with his character. Uh, as far as the ranking goes, the Jedi is going to be at the top. Mm-hmm. Uh, still at the top. Then the heiress. Then the marshal. Then the tragedy. Then the passenger. And finally the siege. We have the same ranking still. We still have the same ranking. Oh my god. I, I You know what? No, but it's. <laughs> I think it's appropriately... It's. I, you're right. It's it's appropriately where it is because it's not as good as the Marshall because I thought that was such a clean episode, um, in terms of like even though it was our speaking of daddy, like also right. that episode gave us uh, Cobb Vanth. But what I, what I mean is that it's just you know that episode is so like even though it's our um, Easter egg episode because it's on Tatooine, it's still better than this one slightly because of the sheer fact that this one does have those little easter egg moments of you know here's boba fett stuff um 
But it's also, the action is really good. It's kind of like The Passenger in that it's mostly an action kind of episode. Um, the only difference, I think, is where the reason why The Passenger and The Siege are kind of like in the bottom two, I think, for us, is really that they are kind of the steering away from the major plot. And I think that even though technically The Siege connects to the major plot in some ways, it still feels like it's its own little mini-adventure, just like The Passenger is. So, All right. Well, Kyle, understanding how busy your schedule is right now, we really appreciate that you took the time to come out and talk with us. It was great to have you on again. Uh, do you have anything that you want to plug that you can plug right now? Great caveat. Um, well, first of all, thank you for having me. It's, it is always fun, especially as someone who's not as entrenched in Star Wars. I just really do enjoy getting to like be a fly in the wall for some of the discussions and to do take some stuff away. Um, I stream on Twitch most days. Um, I haven't been doing so over the past month or so, but by the time this episode goes out, I will be back to my regular streaming in some regard. Um, and yes, the other stuff that I would plug, I'm not able to announce yet. Just keep your eyes peeled on Netflix. We will also, uh, we will also like with the shows that Bradley has worked on because Bradley is a, a working producer. Uh, once we are able to talk about things, uh, keep an eye on our official Twitter, Instagram, TikTok accounts. We will try to let people know when our guests do cool things. I will also yeah. say that you should definitely check out Kyle on Twitch if you want to see me in the reverse seat, uh, because sometimes we do uh, Magic the Gathering Newbie Tuesdays, where I get to be the one who doesn't know anything. Ooh. That's always fun. That's always that's probably a really good time to watch Charles not know anything. So. Oh, it, it's a blast, and I also forced Charles to read one of the novels, and uh, one of the Magic novels, which was. Also, someone who'd written a book that you... Or no, no. The one I made you read is not the one you I'm had, talking about. Yeah, Basically, you there's this really bad one. magic book that's <laughs> Charles's favorite Star Wars books. Off, like, the, the same author as Charles... Star, blah, blah. <laughs> okay, words. One of the universally worst magic books was written by an author who wrote Charles's like favorite Star Wars books. So it's very interesting, and so we get to talk about that kind of stuff. <laughs> so definitely, definitely go check Kyle out. And Kyle, thank you once again for coming. Thank you for listening to Gold Squadron Gaze. Did we forget something? Email us at goldsquadrongaze at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at goldsquadgaze. And you can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at goldsquadrongaze. Subscribe to us on YouTube at Gold Squadron Gaze, where we post this podcast as well as exclusive video content. Please join us next week and every week for another episode of Gold Squadron Gaze. It was. It was. It's actually called the Lost episode. Um, it's really. It's really good. Uh, it only focuses on um, all the problematic actors in uh, the Mandalorian. So it's a, a, it's a side adventure with the Mithril and Cara Dune, and they go on this little adventure together. <laughs> so they're all just on a planet, and then uh, at the beginning of the episode, the planet gets destroyed, and uh, the rest of the episode is just the debris floating in space.